0: Thank you for being part of the Birth Story community. I am so excited for you to have this book in your hand once you've purchased it and it has arrived. I hope that you will give me your thoughts and feedback, and don't forget to take a selfie with your book and post it on Instagram and tag at Podcast. Episode two, grab a latte and get comfortable because I am interviewing my sister on the podcast today and. She is a crack up. And I just want to tell you that she had a two year long fertility journey that led to an overdue baby and an induction. And in this episode, I'm not kidding. She calls her husband a Jedi master of orgasms. So I'm Heidi Campbell,
1: host of the Birth Story podcast. Welcome, Samantha. So, um, first of all, I know we've been sisters. I'm like 46, you know, and we've been sisters for a long time, but I don't go by Samantha. I'll just let you know that now. (laughs) I'm sorry, everyone. I go by Sam. Um, So, Sam, sis. All right. I'm
0: sorry, listeners. This is my sister, (laughs) Sam. Sam. (laughs) Wait, let's tell the listeners why I, I call you Samantha most of the time. Because I named my
1: dog Sam. (laughs) After your (laughs) ex-boyfriend, Sam. (laughs) Sam (laughs) said. So, yeah. So I guess I should think that's nice because you don't want me to be like your dog or something. I don't know. But I go by (laughs) Sam. (laughs) Sam is my name.
0: Okay. Hey, Sam. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) so let's talk about um, your pregnancy and getting pregnant because... I want listeners to hear your story leading up to getting pregnant with Alessandro.
1: Okay. Um, so, Alessandro is my 13 year old, and my husband and I had been trying for like two years. To get pregnant, and we we really wanted a baby. We had dated and lived together for like five years before um, we ever moved. Um, before we got married, you sinner, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, but you know, we both come from broken homes, so we just want to make sure everything was like copacetic and was going to work. Um, and so once we um, got married, then we started trying for um, a baby, and it took two years before. Actually, got pregnant with Alessandro. Now, he didn't like do the whole well, let's look at fertility and, you know, measure all these different things. And we weren't like crazy about it. We just had sex when we wanted to have sex and we're hoping for the best. But I was really concerned. It was like worrying to me because I was like, I feel like my entire life that my my body was like made to give birth to babies. And like, why was I not getting pregnant? Which I know I've had a lot of friends who have had similar circumstances, too. Um, So
0: real quick, how old were you?
1: So, good question. If I'm 46 now <laughs> and he's 13, I was what is that? How so many 33?
0: Thir- so, when you gave birth. So, you were 30 to 32 when you were yeah. having Yep. either you or your husband, you were on a fertility journey though. Yeah. for 2 years in your early 30s.
1: Yes. And then um uh, we went on a trip to Germany. So, we went on this really fun Fabulous trip to Germany, and we had an amazing time, and we were relaxed, and we were drinking a little bit, and all kinds of things. Probably that you shouldn't be doing for getting pregnant, Um, but we had this great time, and we were in the baths in Baden Baden, and uh, we we believe that he was conceived in the town of Baden Baden, where the baths are in Germany, um, because we were having a really good time there. Um, So um, when we got back from the trip. I was pregnant. So I I don't know if it was just a measure of being relaxed and he was relaxed and um, all the stars were aligned. But two years into our journey, then I was pregnant with Alessandro and we were super happy about it. We, by the way, almost named him Baden.
0: (laughs) I'm really glad that you didn't do that.
1: (laughs) Which means bath. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, at least his his name is Alessandro Chagall after a couple of different painters, correct?
1: Well, Alessandro, just so we could have a Hispanic name because my husband's Hispanic. And then um, Chagall is for a Russian Jewish painter that we love.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I love the name. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that you've shared with me is that you... Like when you learned you were pregnant, that you felt different. So tell me about what it was, like what happened to you with both of your pregnancies that kind of let you know that you were pregnant?
1: So I had never heard of this before from anybody, but when I was, um, so when we were in Germany, um, we then went over to Belgium and when we went to Belgium, we were start, we were staying in this really cute place with a little courtyard and cobblestone streets and it was just like so romantic and fabulous. And, you know, it was time to go out and about in the town of Belgium and do, or in the town of Belgium, but <laughs> <laughs> Belgium's not a town. I swear but, she has a master's degree right, and she's right. really smart. <laughs> <laughs> but we were about to go out and about. I don't even actually remember what town we were in. Um, and I, I just, I got a fever. I felt sick. And I said, I can't go out. So I've actually never seen Belgium besides our hotel. Um because I just felt bad I got in the bathtub I, I got a fever I felt sick and lo and behold when I got home I was pregnant so I just thought oh maybe that sickness coincided at the same time with you know conception but then when I had my my second child paid in the same exact thing happened like I got a fever I didn't feel well I had to stay in bed um, I just didn't feel quite right like that's that's the best way I can explain it. And again, that was my signal with her that I was pregnant because I was like, oh, maybe this is the same thing that happened with Alessandro.
0: Cool. So how did your pregnancy go overall?
1: It was awesome. Like, it was amazing. I loved being pregnant. I loved Alessandro being in my belly. I loved seeing my belly grow. Um, I loved feeling the little kicks of him. I, I, I wasn't really somebody who got sick. The only thing I was in the beginning part of my pregnancy mostly was like a little nauseous, where I just kind of had to have snacks everywhere. So I had like, you know, the little center console in your car. I had like nuts and, you know, just things that wouldn't spoil if I kept them in my car, crackers, that kind of thing. Because literally I'd be somewhere and I'd be like, if you don't give me something to stick in my mouth right now, it is not going to be good. So that was a weird feeling to me with pregnancy of, you feel nauseous, but you feel like you need to eat something. Because every prior experience in my life, besides being pregnant, of feeling nauseous, of course you don't want to eat anything. But this nausea for pregnancy, I, I had to stick something in my mouth.
0: <laughs> okay, so you never had to take any medicine,
1: no, 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 Mm-mm. no. So the pregnancy was great. I walked all the time. That was a big thing with me is going and walking in the woods. And um, there's this great place called Ben Creek that I still go walking and I, I I love it. And so I walked all through my pregnancy. Yeah.
0: Cool. So what happened as you got close to the end? Like, did you have a due date? Did you know? I mean, you you said that you knew when you were when maybe you got pregnant. So, like, did you think that your due date was accurate?
1: Um, I'm one of those people who doesn't really believe in due dates. I kind of just think, oh, your baby's coming around that period of time. Um, But it was uh, February, so Alessandra was to be due at the beginning Couple weeks of, of February, and he ended up being born on February 23rd. So, we were really hoping he would come on February 22nd because that's my grandfather's birthday <laughs> and my daddy Sam. So, I thought that would be a really, really cool thing to happen. But um, he didn't, he came on the 23rd. Um, but what else were you asking? So, on that
0: light, you were overdue. So, oh, your yes. due date was sometime in, in early February.
1: Yeah. And so, what was that like when? kind of the due date came and went? So going to my physician, who she's a wonderful, amazing person, she kept saying, you know, well, you're going over the due date. And usually we induce if you go over the due date. And I was like, Oh, come on, give this baby just a little bit more time. So she gave the baby like another week, and then nothing happened. And I'll tell you a couple things I did, too. And then and then two weeks and she basically said two weeks is my limit. Like you need to be induced. So after two weeks past the due date is when I had an appointment at 8am at the hospital to be induced with Pitocin to start some of the contractions that Pitocin, um, just gets the contraction started. Um, so I was really disappointed about that. And I tried everything I could for the two weeks prior to get Alessandro to come out. But he was he was very happy inside my belly. And I think he wanted to stay there for a very long time. And he didn't want to come out right then. So so
0: what are some of the things that you did to try?
1: So my massage therapist, Isabel, was amazing. So I would I, I had massages all throughout pregnancy and she gave amazing um, prenatal massages. And so. She said, OK, this isn't going to feel like all those really nice other massages you've had. And it was like pressure points on my ankles where she dug in and just like kind of hurt you <laughs> on your ankles. And, and those trigger points or pressure points are supposed to help with getting contraction started. Unfortunately, they did not for me. And I think I did that a couple times with her. And then I decided to go to acupuncture. So one of my best friends, her husband is a Chinese medicine doctor. And he's like, yeah, you should come for acupuncture. We do it all the time to induce labor. And apparently there's a lot of evidence that goes along with that. So I went in for that session and I believe the majority of the needles they put were on my sacral area on my back. And you definitely could feel the, like this sort of electric charge, you know, um, down there. And I could feel the baby moving around a little bit more. Alessandra was moving around, but again, did not induce labor. And at that same um, Chinese uh, medicine doctor office, the acupuncture, they're like, okay, try this tea. Are you willing to do anything? And I'm like, yes. And it was this tea It contained, I'm not shitting you, like a dried seahorse in it. And they're like, please, please drink this whole thing. And I'm like, drink the seahorse also. So yes, Alessandra, if you're listening to this, yes, mommy ate a seahorse for you and some gross, nasty tea that they described as driveway water runoff. Like that's what it tasted like was disgusting like you just went into a gutter and picked up some water that's what this tea tasted like again did not induce labor so massage acupressure points acupuncture gross tea and then the last thing I did which was completely disgusting and probably felt the most little kicks and contractions from it but nothing like again ever happened was um I think it's called castor oil, right? Does mm-hmm. that sound right? Yeah. Okay. So I was just like chugging castor oil like it was Jägermeister in college, you know? Like I'm just like jugging <laughs> it, jugging it, trying to get those contractions to come. And yeah, they did not come. So at that that point, hold on, I'm going to interrupt right there <laughs> okay. as a
0: birth doula. Yes. For anyone who's listening and <laughs> wants to try castor oil, don't chug it like you were in college. <laughs> One to two tablespoons of castor oil mixed up in like a smoothie or a milkshake. And I only recommend doing castor oil one time. Uh, when you do castor oil multiple times, you end up with diarrhea.
1: <laughs> I wish I had had you as my doula for the first baby because I didn't know that. And yeah, I was like, I had the bottle up to my mouth, like drinking castor oil, and Frank's like, "Are you? Are you sure you should do this?" And- And I was was
0: willing. I was willing. So I have a question for you, too, because one of the things that I want listeners to hear that's really important for natural induction is having sex, because there are so many prostaglandins in the semen. Oh, yeah. That, um, and and having an orgasm, we're it like releases so much oxytocin that that's one of a really good thing. Did you, were you
1: comfortable enough to have sex? We had sex all the time. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay, we had so sex all the time. We had sex all the time. That did not work either. And, and- you kept walking? what do you mean like walking, walking
0: through bent creek or oh or yeah i yeah.
1: kept walking and having sex all the time it did not work and my my husband is a jedi master with orgasms so <laughs> that that definitely didn't work so i hope everyone uh, <laughs> saw on the podcast that this is an explicit <laughs> podcast <laughs> yes yeah, sorry we are sisters and i do have a potty mouth sometimes um So, no, none none of that worked, but I tried everything. But, again, I tried not to stress too much out about it. I just didn't – I think I was stressing out at the end there with all these things because I I desperately did not want to be induced. I did not want to have Pitocin. I did not want to have to have anything injected in my body or the baby's body that could potentially be harmful in my mind at least, you know, like – I'm like, I I just so desperately wanted to have this natural childbirth, right? And to me, I was like, oh, if I get Pitocin, then it's not a natural childbirth. Um, But it it, it ended up being fine. It ended up being okay.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute, because there's going to be so many people that are listening that go over their due date. They know that they have a deadline, that induction is a possibility. And so many people think the same thing that you think. And so... um, and this is just a side note here, like I was induced with both of my children as a birth doula, and and my sister was also, and I had a really good experiences with um, an induction. So I want to maybe talk about like where that fear of Pitocin comes from. I've heard a lot of myths out there. And so kind of do you remember what your perception, like why you were afraid
1: well, kind of my thing is, is I don't want any foreign substance in my body or the baby's body. I mean, I barely even take Advil or Tylenol as a regular person, not even being pregnant. So why would I want something in my veins shooting through me? And why would I want contractions that were not natural contractions in my own head? Like, I, I'd rather just have the contractions my body are going to give me. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit that that one in a second, because that was different. And then... Um just the environment and setting of the hospital, I wanted to labor because I knew li- labor was going to be a long process. I'd rather labor more at home or in the woods than necessarily like sitting in a hospital bed hooked up to an IV. And if I'm not supposed to eat soft cheese <laughs> with a baby inside my belly – I mean, it seems a little strange. I'd be pumping something into me through my veins that would be going to my baby. I mean, that's what I was thinking. So that's sort of where it came from. But to me, the biggest thing with the Pitocin is got to the hospital at like 8 a.m. And they stuck the, you know, needle in my arm, got it going with an IV bag. And... Um, it, it took a while. Like, I was just like chatting in bed. I was like, when is this going to happen? Like, when are these going to come?
0: Back up for a second. Okay. What time did you check into the hospital for the induction?
1: So it's 8 a.m. Oh, 8, 8 a.m. M. You checked in at yeah, 8 yeah. a.m. If you were okay. listening, Heidi, <laughs> I missed the time. <laughs>
0: Of course, like, this is the story <laughs> of my life. I missed the time, so it was eight o'clock. In that the morning. would be eight a.m. Okay, yeah. so that's really good because mm-hmm. the city that I'm in, a lot of the providers like to start inductions at night, and they bring the moms in at like six o'clock at night. And um, That's
1: horrible. I know.
0: I feel like it's really counterintuitive because I feel like you need a good night's sleep and you need to be rested. So at another point, we'll bring in a local OBGYN and ask them why they start inductions at 6
1: p.m. at night. Now, I didn't end up having him until like 2 o'clock in the morning or something. So I can see how it might help them out to like start it at night and then maybe they're having a baby by the morning when they're coming on shift again and they've had a good night's sleep. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think it was really smart and good to start at eight and do what we did. And then go. Yeah. And then one of
0: the things we miss here is that you, did, you hired a birth doula.
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. This is a show. about <laughs> Isabel, <that too. laughs> she really loves you. She yes. just forgot about you. Yeah. So Isabel um, was an integral part of this. So Isabel's friend, massage therapist that um, I've had for years. And um, and she had never really done the doula thing before. I don't think I don't think she had really done it before. And she is just this amazing healing Human being, she just knows so much about human anatomy and how to help you when you're in pain or um, need to relax with massages and all these things. And she had um, studied all of this cool um, fertility sort of medicine in what country you remember? what Belize. Belize, Belize, yeah. She worked with like a,
0: a shaman woman in yeah. Belize to learn fertility massage. Yeah.
1: So it was really cool. So Anyway, um, I just proposed to her, I said, How about being our doula? And um, I started off with some of my readings I had, and then she read up on her own about a lot of different things. And Frank was going to be at the hospital the whole time, but I knew he needed a support person too. like, so the three of us kind of were a team at the hospital, and she knew it was an induction, and she brought like a whole bag full of stuff. And um, we had a thing of snacks and all kinds of things. But she was there with us through the entire process. And like I said, 8 a.m. and I didn't have him until t- after 2 a.m. I mean, they needed to have a break and like have a burger and have a snack themselves and switch in and out of the room, like helping me sometimes and that sort of thing. So she was an amazing doula. That was my first experience with a doula. I, I would never suggest to anybody to not have a doula like everybody should have a doula that's giving birth regardless as part of your team it's not like you're only person i think a lot of people have misconceptions about what a doula is but support person during birth so she helped massage me she talked to me she helped keep me calm she got mom out of the room when mom was driving me crazy um so that kind of thing getting (laughs) your mom out of the room sometimes (laughs) is
0: really important (laughs) right (laughs) our mom answered her cell phone while i was pushing my first (laughs) child out
1: (laughs) so so thank you isabel uh, yeah so doulas can help with that yeah i think um Yeah, everybody was coming in my room, like plugging their cell phones in and stuff and bringing their chaos into my room. And Isabel was like, yeah, I think she's such a delicate, gentle person. Like, she's like, yeah, I think this would be really nice if y'all can push this out into the hallway somewhere, (laughs) you know, so she could do it because you don't have the strength at that point to kind of be your own advocate. So the doula helps you do that. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to interject right here for
0: any of our very savvy listeners that are like, but. Ah, uh, Heidi is a doula. <laughs> So, so, I was very young 13 years ago. And uh, Isabel actually inspired me to become a doula after this. Not experience. me. It wasn't me. No, you had something to do with that. I think you gave me a book like the doula book or something. But um I probably like being competitive. Like I was pissed that I didn't get to be your doula. So I was like, well, I'm definitely going to become one of these magical right. doulas so that I could be your doula on your next birth. Right. And So I was. So I was Sam's um, doula for her second. For Peyton,
1: she was an amazing doula for Peyton.
0: So, but Isabel, I just remember kind of being in the waiting room and thinking, whatever this mystical creature is doing (laughs) in there, like (laughs) I want to be her, you know? Yeah. I want to be healing, you know, my sister.
1: Yeah. I feel like now you correct me if I'm wrong, and I know this isn't me interviewing you, but I I can't remember the answer to this question weren't you doing something around that time where you were helping people in hospice or you were helping people with dying somehow and then you were like this connects in the other direction I don't know I just have this like memory of that in my head 100% no Okay. I don't even 100%. Because <laughs> no. you're like, oh, I want to be on the other side of it, on the birth side. No, okay.
0: I mean, I was like a drug rep that was like helping people with their medicine. <laughs> so maybe, but no. Okay. So um, I did have a few friends that were giving birth that I had like kind of helped through there before I became a dou- doula, like that I had helped. And so I, I thought I knew what I was doing, but okay. without doula training, but. Okay, uh, I did not know what I was doing <laughs> back then. <laughs> so back to your birth. Okay. So you check in at 8 o'clock in the morning. Isabel's got the room set up. Like your husband's there. Um, they get the IV started with the Pitocin. And then kind of what happens? Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says The Workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free as my thank you for listening to The Birth Story Podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under The Workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now let's get back to this amazing episode. So back to your birth. Okay. So you check in at eight o'clock in the morning. Isabel's got the room set up like your husband's there. Uh, they get the IV started with the Pitocin, and then kind of what happens?
1: Oh, um, I had. Uh, let me set the scene for you. I put pictures of my grandmother and my grandfather on the windowsill, okay. <laughs> summoning their healing spirits because they had passed, and just there to help help me through the labor process. You know, we had some good scents going on in the room. Um, Isabel brought me some. Um, ice pops, you know, to have during labor, and then the contractions started. Um, eventually, it took a few hours. It didn't. It wasn't like immediate. It took a few hours for the pitocin to kick in, and they step me, started messing with it, turning it up and down and everything. And after I've now had the two bursts, I can compare the the differences between the natural contractions and pitocin. And I think the really hard part about pitocin. Is because they're having to adjust it to your body um they're they're a lot of times right on top of one another, so you'll have a contraction and then just <gasps> one deep breath and then another one starts, whereas with natural contractions, you'll have a contraction, you know you have the squeezing of the muscles, and then you have like sixty seconds usually. Um, 30 seconds at least to like breathe to calm down a little bit and then go into the next one so it gives you a little bit more space in between contractions um and again maybe if they had just done the pitocin a little bit differently maybe there would have been more space but that was a hard part for me but i i forgot to say it i also toured the hospital ahead of time and um had seen that they had birth chairs Now I think they had them shoved in some closet far away where they didn't really want to get them out for people. And they thought it was a little weird. I got the feeling. Um, but I knew they were there cause I had done the birth tour and I had asked those questions. So when we first got there, I asked if they would get the birth chair out of the closet and one lady, one of the nurses looked at the other and the birth chair. And then it, So that process of finding the birth chair probably took an hour or two, just FYI.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So note to self, when you're touring the hospital and you see really cool things like a birthing ball or a peanut ball or a birth chair, like make sure you have in your birth plan or your doula or your partner or something knows, you know, what you want that environment or that room to look like. Um, you don't have to worry about any of those things if you hire a doula,
1: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> Cause they'll do it all for you. So for yeah, those- you know
1: what? And that is a good point because Isabel was tracking all that down for exactly. me. So I didn't have to really mess with that. And I wasn't really having any contractions. I didn't need her yet, you know, and right. she was out in the hallway finding the birth chair for getting us getting
0: everything organized, you know? So for everyone that's listening, that is like, what is a birth? Oh chair? yeah. I guess we should okay. So there's going to be a lot of people that have no <laughs> idea. So talk about like what a birth chair is.
1: Well, you may be able to talk about it better than I can, but I can describe it from my point of view, is it kind of looked like an old person's walker (laughs) is what it looked like to me. And like with the little chair part, it had a very thin rim that you could sit kind of sit down in your walker kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So I'm holding on to metal bars on the side, but I'm sitting yeah, um, and it's kind of like a squat sit. I, I, it's like a low sit. Yeah. Because um, I had read that that reduces your um, birth canal mm-hmm. and makes it easier for the baby to come out, and I wanted everything that would make it easier. And so it had like a small rim. I would say it wasn't the most comfortable birth chair in the world, the one that they had. But at that point, it was great because it was support. I did not want to be in the bed. I did not want to be confined. And my husband was able to get in a chair behind me and kind of envelop me with like his arms and support my back and rub my back and that sort of thing, like while I was laboring. Okay. So would so, you describe it any differently or um, what, what you
0: Yeah, I would describe it as like a, toilet seat that's not on a toilet. Yeah. So that still has like a hole in it. So it's kind of gravity. lets. Gravity. Maybe my butt
1: just felt so big that it, it felt like it was like a one millimeter rim all right. around. So, I don't know.
0: But it just kind of helps, you know, with gravity. So everybody who's listening. So uh, squat, 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 squat. Like we can't say it enough, right? Like sit in your chair, sit in your ball, but squat, 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 because it actually really does help. To get the baby to move down, to get in a good position, to put pressure on that cervix, to open the cervix, um, to work with gravity. When you are laying flat on a bed on your back, um, labor just takes longer. So,
1: yeah. And I would say the best way that I could explain this is if you're laying down, if you've got a shit you got to poop. Okay. okay. I mean, it's explicit. Am I allowed you, to say that? Yeah, you okay. can say shit. Okay. So, if you've got a shit and somebody said, "Oh, you have to shit. Why don't you lay down in the bed to shit?" Why don't why don't you do that? Because imagine body. laying in your bed on your back and then trying to shit. Of course <laughs> that makes no sense. Not that a baby is a shit, but it feels like that sometimes. So like it's much better to be like sitting, squatting, Whatever, because then you're in a position that just, like you said, gravity, it makes more sense and it feels better. Yeah. So it's sort of, to me, archaic to like lay in a bed because that's not what is the easiest position.
0: So at this point in your labor, you're still all natural in the sense that the only medical intervention is a Pitocin drip. Yes. Right. And did you have an IV bag of fluids? Yeah. Too. So an yeah. IV bag of fluids and a Pitocin drip and you, your husband is uh, massaging you and you're sitting in the birth chair. Isabel, I think is massaging all over your whole body. Yes. Too. Talk to me about how your mind, what you were doing with your mind when the contractions hit.
1: Um. Well, I, I was doing all these visualizations and I had, I forgot this part too. been so long hypnobirthing I had Mm -hmm. gone to some hypnobirthing classes with a hypnotherapist and there was like a trigger word that Frank and I came up with and then he touched my shoulder at a certain point when he would see that I was struggling and it was basically just a relaxation mode to get into and so that would help me then relax even further but in my mind I just pictured I just kind of had mantras in my head, like, I'm so excited to see Alessandro. I think I had one that was like, my my flower of my birth canal is opening like a beautiful flower. So I kept just imagining like my vagina opening bigger and bigger to let the baby out. And I also just was breathing. I wasn't trying to struggle against the contractions because – I'm telling you, having a baby for the first time is a weird experience. And I was not prepared. I had read a million books. I am like a researcher. I had read everything. I could, every first person account, every medical thing, I, I read it all. But it's still, you still don't know what it's like until you actually go through it. And to me, it was like, birth is like peristalsis, you know, like with a snake. And the snake is like doing those like, Contractiony things to like get the food down and you know so that to me it's like peristalsis like the contractions to get your baby out and if you like are trying to uh, like push really hard and it just doesn't work. You just have to give into it, give over to it, just like you do an orgasm, by the way, is just let go. It's like when you let go, and you breathe, and you give into the experience of this baby trying to crawl out of your body, (laughs) which is a strange experience to think about, right, then it just goes more easily. And then I think I told you this whole thing too of you know like the whole taking the shit on the bed like thing and being laying down that doesn't make any sense now let's take taking a shit to the toilet okay if you're on the toilet and you are trying to poop okay and you're like and you're trying to poop it it doesn't happen you'll be there forever like but if you just breathe your poop out you breathe your poop out. You just breathe in and you breathe out. The poop will come out. Same thing with the baby. If you will just be calmer and actually give in to the experience and like breathe in and out, at least for me. I mean, I'm saying this like it works for everybody. But for me, that helped a lot. So
0: you had a really long labor, essentially. Yes. So if you started at 8 o'clock in the morning, you didn't deliver until – Um, two o'clock in the morning the next day. Yeah, there were some altered states
1: of consciousness going on.
0: Right. So you had mentioned that you didn't want to like put all these toxins or anything else in your body. So I'm assuming that you, in your mind, you were like, I'm definitely, were you like, I'm definitely not getting an epidural or were you open to getting an epidural?
1: Um, Well, I did not want to have an epidural, but I was definitely open to whatever is going to keep this baby Safe. I mean, if they would have come in and said, we need your right arm, we need to cut it off to make the baby safe, I'd be like, go for it. Take my arm. So I was kind of of the attitude of whatever they think is going to keep the baby safe, keep Alessandro safe, I'm totally willing to do. So you had a team you totally trusted. Yeah. And – but I didn't want – and the doula, Isabel, helped with this. I didn't want to be constantly offered because they kind of do this thing where they come to your room and offer you like epidurals and stuff or whatever. And Isabel was kind of like my defensive lineman, you know, who would go up to them and be like, eh, don't bring that stuff up to her right now.
0: Like she's, she's doing She's great. doing
1: okay. Yeah. Um,
0: so at what point do you think that things started to really intensify? Do you have a concept of the time frame?
1: I don't have a concept of the time frame, but they videoed everything for me. And that's another good reason to have some support people in the room. Um, so Isabel and Frank video- videoed everything. So there's this, some crazy videos of me like, Wah! like my head, like going around. And I, I was making lots of um, deep ohm moaning sounds like I don't even know if I could just like Ah, that sounds do you think, like a contraction. Do you yeah. think your listeners would like that? Yes. Um,
0: <laughs> actually, like that, that does sound like
1: a contraction. <laughs> <laughs> so those deep sounds were like really helping. And I had done some prenatal yoga where they said that you making those deep sounds actually helps to open up. Yeah, um, wah, yeah. wah. That's a guttural, like, opening sound that you'll hear a lot from laboring women. Yeah. Too. So, and I, 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 so I knew that it was relaxing to me. It worked for me, and I had my eyes closed a lot during labor, and I was just in another world. I was in another place, but the touch of people really helped. The massaging helped um, for me during pregnancy, like pressure on my back. Moving around, getting up, and walking around the room—all of those things helped me. Okay. Um, my least favorite thing would probably be the heart monitor that they put across your belly when you're in the middle of labor. At least for me, that was a pain in the boo-hoo tea. because mm-hmm. it just—it felt so heavy and like restrictive and like annoying. Did they constantly monitor you? Like that monitor was yeah. on and it never came off? Well, I mean, not at eight a.m. Okay. But when I was getting pretty heavy into the, yeah, into the um, contractions, then right. it was on for hours and hours. So yeah. so while it
0: can be annoying, I think it's really important to talk about the importance of that heart monitor, though. So especially when you have um, like the artificial Pitocin or any kind of medical intervention, they just want to make sure that the baby is doing okay. So they're looking for accelerations, decelerations, but that the baby's... Um, you know, heart rate response to the contractions is doing okay. So did you
1: find any comfort in that, like knowing that he was doing okay? No, No. not at all. Because it just scared me to death because it was like a big seatbelt across my tummy, like as a stretchy tightening. seat belt tightening. Every time there was a contraction there was a big device in the middle and so all the time they're like, heart rate is decelerating, heart rate is decelerating and they're like freaking out about stuff which then freaks you out if nothing's going on really. And in my head, all I kept saying to myself was, Alessandro is fine. Of course, the heart heart rates are going to decelerate when I'm like pushing or, you know, he's trying to get out of there. Yeah, it's it's a tough job to get out of somebody's vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, So I wasn't worried. And thank goodness, Isabel and Frank are really like the most calm people in the world. So I, I wasn't worried, but I can see how for other people to like... It stressed me out a little bit that they were so concerned with it. And I just knew somehow in my head everything was fine.
0: Yeah. but So I hear um, when people don't see the decelerations, you'll hear moms that will say that, oh, I could, I could look over and see that the baby was doing fine. And, uh, and that was comforting to me. But because – Does that happen where people
1: give birth and, like, it doesn't decelerate at all?
0: Um, yeah. If they have uh, quicker labors too. Okay. So that's a good note. We can step in right now and say that, like – When there is compression to the baby's head, you will, as the baby's coming through the birth canal, we will see heart decelerations. Um, If the cord is wrapped at all, you'll see some decelerations. There are some uh, many other reasons to have heart accelerations or decelerations, but as long as they're short and they bounce back, um, the medical community seems to not, you know, they watch it. Um, but they're not overly, you know, concerned when you see a deceleration with a contraction, when the baby's coming through the birth canal, that's typically considered to be pretty, uh, normal thing to witness on a, on a heart rate strip. So, so okay. you saw that with Alessandro. So as he was coming down yeah. he was in the birth canal, the head was getting compressed. There were some heart decelerations, but no. you were not scared by those. So those were, that was good. No. Like you just knew intuitively like your baby
1: was doing fine. And, um, so talk about the birth. So, so the birth part, um, uh, was exciting. He has a nickname turtle to this day because he was like, "Out, no, I want to go back in out. No, I want to go back in with his little head. So I still call him turtle. Um, but so the thing that was a little bit hard is my physician, I think had had a, like a hard night. Um, that night of whatever was going on at the hospital. And you talk about it.
0: I think it's important.
1: She, oh, don't well, talk
0: about her, but you. she had a tough night.
1: Yeah, so I was on the birth chair and originally, you know, I had a birth plan and everything and she was totally fine with me giving birth on the birth chair and she'd get down on the floor and like deliver the baby and we had talked all of us through. But it's now like, 2 30 in the morning whatever and she comes in the room and it's getting close and she's just like Sam I've had a really hard night here at the hospital I just want everything to be safe for you and Alessandra I need you to get on the bed so I will tell you that my contractions really I swear to God they did not hurt nothing hurt about labor it was just weird like a baby's crawling out of you weird until I laid down on the bed and then when I laid down on the bed oh, my back was killing me Um, my vagina like when he was coming out I tore that was horrible you know whatever but I I really do fault it with like laying down on the bed instead of being able to give birth on the birth chair but later on I found out that there was like a, a young child basically an 11 year old that night who had given birth and I think she was part of my physician was part of that whole process and so she had just had a You know, mentally and probably physically, hard time, and just wanted everything to be safe for me and Alessandra. And it was, she's an excellent physician. So, um, So pushing him out, it took a while to get him out. I kind of think of it as like carving the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Your first baby out is like carving the Grand Canyon for the babies to come, you know, the future babies. So the first one, man, it's a little harder for them. It was a little harder for Alessandro to get out of there and head to turn and shoulder and everything and get out. But he eventually did. Um, No
0: episiotomy, but you tore naturally?
1: Yeah, tore naturally. And I wanted to because I had read up that um, tearing naturally and healing is actually better than having like a straight line kind of um, scalpel cut. I just read that. So some research on that. So tore naturally, but I bled a bunch. So Alessandro comes out. I'm so excited. He's so cute. And and
0: let's clarify. You didn't bleed from the tearing. You were
1: bleeding from a
0: postpartum hemorrhage
1: I have no clue okay I have no clue okay. but maybe I, I it's I, I don't more know. common
0: since I don't I know no your clue. medical history I'm gonna guess you had a postpartum hemorrhage okay because um, let's let me just do a little te- doula teaching okay. right here <laughs> is when um, so just even if you didn't know this is that your uterus is a muscle. And when we labor naturally, and you talked about, we have those long breaks in between, like, so sometimes you'll be in labor and you'll have like a 20 minute break in between contractions, even when you're really, you know, far along, but that when we have Pitocin and it's just contraction, 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 and you had what, a 16 hour labor, um, something like that, that that muscle is tired. So then after the baby is expelled from the uterus, that muscle it needs to continue to contract in order to deliver the placenta, but also um so that you don't continue to bleed and hemorrhage. And sometimes that muscle is worn out and oh, is yeah. so tired. So you it uh so someday I'll interview a medical professional on the statistics here. Um, but it is very Common, I would say. I hear stories, and I've had a lot of clients, myself included, uh, where there was a postpartum hemorrhage um, because of a really tired muscle, the uterus, after giving birth.
1: So, one of my nurses, this is kind of a funny story, one of my nurses was like seven or eight months pregnant. I mean, she was huge. She had a huge belly and she was so sweet. So, right after I gave birth to Alessandro, um, and they were like working on him. All the nurses are doing like the APGAR scores and seeing how healthy he is and stuff. Um, they were like, we need to go to the restroom. Like we need to go to the bathroom or whatever. So I passed out. I passed out because I had lost so much blood and I said, I'm about to pass out. <laughs> and she said, just lean into me. So I felt so bad. I'm like, I feel so bad. And then I passed out right on her belly holding her. <laughs> yeah. She's just like, hold on to me. And I pass it on her belly and she's holding on to me. And then she's like, can you take a couple more steps to the toilet? And I took a couple more steps and I passed out again. And then when I got to the toilet, I passed out again. So I think they, and I kept just leaning into her big, beautiful belly. It was kind of beautiful, actually nice. Um, I felt bad though. And they gave me some sort of medicine, I think, to stop the bleeding mm-hmm. um, of what was going on. But I forgot to tell you the other part of the story is with the two... Weeks of um, being overdue in their minds, right? One of the things my doctor said is your placenta can calcify and that could be bad because you're not getting nutrients to your baby and all that kind of thing so as soon as the placenta came out after Alessandro I was like show me that placenta because I was taking the placenta home anyway and um, I was like show me that placenta and show me those calcifications so, so the doctor she held it up to me and showed me and there were these like little white spots they look like white spots on there and she's like it's not a ton but there are white spots on here showing calcification of the placenta which is apparently not a good thing and right. um, So that's one of the reasons, apparently, that they induce.
0: Yep. So And so I think some of the listeners that may be listening are, um, like, to go back to the beginning, like, being afraid of an induction or, like, not wanting to have an induction. But here is Sam telling this amazing story that said the placenta is calcified. There was an urgency maybe to have had this induction and you still had a completely natural childbirth. Like you never got the epidural. You never had any other medical interventions besides that Pitocin and IV drip, even with a really long, you know, labor. So tell us how much did Alessandro
1: weigh? Okay. I really should have looked at this before I came for the interview, but I want to say he was like six pounds, like Twelve ounces, something okay. like that. He was right in that range. Yeah, so I mean, in in he was tiny. most standards, I was like that.
0: It's a pretty tiny baby. So I think seven. My belly
1: was enormous. So I was well, like, Are there short. other babies in there? Because I swear this baby was going to be huge. We
0: have short torsos in our family, so <laughs> so yes. So you had a big belly, but it's because you have a short torso. You...
1: I was like, Darn it! I've gained fifty pounds, but this guy's only six <laughs> twelve. What am I going to do?
0: So you gained 50
1: pounds yeah. too so
0: healthy normal they sometimes they say 25 to 30 for those people listening I'm sure I'm gonna say it over and over again I gained 70 pounds I don't necessarily recommend it because it's really hard to get it off <laughs> yeah. afterwards but it happens yeah you know? I'm still trying and so- my child's
1: 13 <laughs>
0: so it happens you know um so let's talk about just those like moments like right after our birth like so because it was natural did you get a chance to like hold him right away and nurse right away like how did that go
1: oh yeah so exciting so um did skin to skin contact right away and um, had him up on my my belly at first. And then Frank got to cut the cord, too. So that was really cool. And they waited for the cord to, like, pulse out everything. And he was just so cute. And I just I, I couldn't believe he came out of me. Yeah. And this little love and the, like, love in your heart for this This human being, like, how did a human being come out of the inside of me, and how can I love this human being like more than life itself? And it was just overwhelming. But I just kept looking at Frank and then looking at Alessandro, and like, oh my gosh, look what we did! Like, look what we look what our love did! Like, that is just insane to me that like you can love someone so much that you can create a life from your love. I mean it's a pretty a pretty profound experience, yep, nursed right away. Apgar' score was good, I don't remember what it was, but um yeah, it was he was a great little healthy little thing and and um, a
0: beautiful birth, yes, awesome, yeah, so um one of the things I like to ask the moms is like did you have a favorite product that you used when you were pregnant or after pregnant, or like when um that you registered for that you got, but do you have a favorite baby product?
1: Um, I would not say any particular baby product, but the store Target (laughs) has always been my saving grace and um, ladies listening out there who are pregnant or about to give birth or have given birth, they open at 8 a.m. That is key. Most places are not open at 8 a.m. And I'm talking like every day they're open at 8 a.m. So I just would have to get out of the house. So I would bring the baby with me and it was a place to go and I'd get like some Starbucks (laughs) and be walking around with my chai tea and my baby and it gave me a place indoors that was safe. Didn't matter what the weather was, to just walk around and look at things and figure out what products I needed. Because let me tell you, I needed stuff all the time. So at Target, I'm like, oh, it's pretty in here. It's clean. Oh, here's some clothes for the baby. Here's some cream that I need for my nipples. Like, here's <laughs> like, like they, every, have and they have it all. They have it all. Like everything you need and this calm because no one's there at 8am. Um, so it's a really easy place, you know, and – to go in the morning, so uh, that's so what So Sam's I
0: favorite baby product was all of Target, all and of Target.
1: Starbucks, <laughs> all of Targeted Starbucks. I'm and telling you, they saved later, my life.
0: <laughs> I don't. Do you still go to Target? And Starbucks yes, I time? still on
1: Saturday and Sunday. It's just my routine. <laughs> I like go. I go walk in the woods for like an hour, and then I go to Target in the morning to see what I need, and I have my Starbucks. Yep, it's my routine.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, for anyone listening that like loves Sam and wants to um, hear about her second birth, we're going to have a part two where she talks about her birth. Uh, where Heidi
1: was my doula. Where no. I was her doula. Yay.
0: <laughs> and she had an all natural childbirth uh, with Peyton. So um, look for that episode and I will put it in this episode's uh, notes. So thanks everybody for listening. Thanks Sam for being on and telling us your story. You're
1: awesome. I love you.
0: Love you too.